Right. Well, I do not have a you're done or one minute to go. So there's a clock right over there. You were told five to seven minutes. So just look at the clock when you get up there. And I want you to finish, though. I don't want you to be constrained. Just go ahead and finish whatever you're <clears throat> whatever you're doing. Is this on? Oh, it's on now. Okay. So uh, the first one, <coughs> I put them in order uh, because the people who called back. So the first one was Darren. Darren called up. Okay, let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. We're talking about Christ our mediator. While you're turning to Ephesians 5, I'll read a little bit out of 1 Timothy 4.10. says, We trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. That's in 1 Timothy 4. But we'll go back to Ephesians 5.17. Ephesians 5.17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise... But understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're going to be talking about what's, what's the will of God and, uh, in, in respect to Christ as our mediator. Okay, go ahead and go to 1 John 2. While you turn to 1 John 2, I'll read Hebrews 2.9. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Okay, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We're talking about um, what Jesus did for us as our mediator, what he's doing for us as our mediator. And uh, if you go to 1 Timothy 2, First Timothy 2, verses 4 through 6.
We're talking about God's will here. 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 through 6. 4 through 6. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. It's talking about God's will. God's will, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. Go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. While you're turning to Colossians 1, we'll talk, I'll, I'll read Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And first, uh, John 1.29 says, say, say in Colossians 1 there, I'll, I'll get there in a second here. John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world, the sin of the world. And John 6.33 says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life <clears throat> unto the world. And Romans 5.6 says, For when ye were with when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. As a mediator, he reconciled all things unto himself. And in Romans 5, 8 it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Talking about God's will for Christ our mediator. Matthew eighteen fourteen says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And Luke nineteen ten says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And there's a, a series of three verses here that kind of tie together. I want to tie these together here. It'll be pretty obvious. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. 
For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And the second verse, and I want to tie with that one, Ezekiel 18.23. In Romans, in, in Revelation, is talking about God's pleasure. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? And the third one that goes uh, together with these, these three verses go together, I think you'll see the connection. Ezekiel 18.32 For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. That's why he has a mediator for us. God's will, God's pleasure is for us to turn and live. Turn to Revelation 22. While you're turning to Revelation 22, I'll, John, I'll read John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Revelation 22, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So when you look at these word, these verses that talk about the will of God and how it has to do with uh, Jesus Christ, our mediator, we can see that God has done everything. And through Jesus Christ, our mediator, he is doing everything so that not one of you needs to pay the penalty for his own sins. I'm just going to pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, O oh God. Thank you for protecting us and guiding us, Lord. Thank you for us to be able to come to church freely, Lord, and that, uh, just, Lord, I'm not capable of actually preaching your word. I'm actually just pretty useless, Lord. But, I, Lord, I do ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come down upon me so that I can preach your word and be a blessing to these people and talk about this message, Lord, so I can be an encouragement to them because I can't do it on my own, Lord. So, Lord, I ask for your power to come down upon me because your word says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So, Father, give me that power and that same mind in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, if you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 24. Hebrews 12:24, And it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speak of better things than that of Abel. So the title of my message is, Do You Know the Power of the Mediator? So as an introduction, Jesus links us to God. Our mediator is Jesus Christ. He helps us and goes before us to speak to the Father. But do you, do you and I recognize the power that is bound in Christ? Because to be honest, he is powerful. But my first point and my only point is that he speaketh better things than that of Abel. Turn back to Hebrews 12, verse 14, verse 24, sorry. And it says, And to Jesus the media of the new covenant, and to the blood of, and the, to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So his blood speaketh better things than that of Abel's sacrifice in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, where he gave his firstlings of, of his offering, and he was in charge of sheep, and he gave it to God, and God respected that for him. But Jesus' blood, his death, his resurrection, that has such authority and power, more than just any sacrifice. Because I can give God all the sacrifices, but that one sacrifice, that one death, that one resurrection is best, please better things than that of Abel's sacrifice. And we are, and you know what's so cool is that we're told to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Can you turn to First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7? First Peter 5 and verse 7. First Peter five seven and it says, Casting all your care on him because care casting casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So Jesus Christ cares about your cares about your issues. He cares about them and he wants you to cast all your care on him. And it's cool things that Jesus the mediator, he and the intercessor, he speaks on the on your behalf. Of all the people in the world, he speaks on your behalf. Amazing. And what's so cool, what I even recognized was that he says to God, Yes, he's a sinner. Yes. He breaks your word. Yes, he is wicked, but he's been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's been sanctified by my, by my blood. So hear his cry. He doesn't have to do that. He can look at me and say, Dean, you're a filthy, wicked sinner, and that's it. But he doesn't. He says, you know what? He's been sanctified. So when God looks at me, he sees the blood of Christ on me and sees that I've been justified. You know, one of the greatest things I know is about the grace time that Christ was showing he himself as an intercessor was when he was on that cross. Do you realize that? When he's on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We didn't pray to him directly, but he was there talking to God saying, hold back. Don't do anything to them. Father, forgive them. Forgive them for what they've done to me. And see, Jesus is so cool, so amazing, that he softens even God's heart. That God's wrath should come right on us and say, you know, you've sinned, you've broken my word. But yet, Christ can talk to him. And he... 
even hears our cry. He even listens to our prayer. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And verse 10 to 11. And it says, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the, of God the Father. I thought that was just so cool, is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every knee. So that means, what does that actually say about Christ? That just says how powerful he is. That every knee will bow, and he can go to the Father and convince him to hear my cry, to hear your cry, to listen to us wicked sinners, and he can convince God to say, answer his prayer, answer her prayer. He can do that for you and I. And I wonder, I do wonder how many of you are aware of the power that is in Christ, our intercessor. How many of you are aware of it? Because to be honest, some of you will say, yeah, I'm aware of it because I know about prayer. And some of you don't. And you see, the scary thing is that a lot of us don't know how to pray. A lot of us just don't pray. We just think church is the only thing that we need. Wednesday night, that's perfect for me. But it's not. It's not enough for you. It can never be enough. If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. You'll understand why it's not enough. Because this verse always struck me. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. And it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Say this with me. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I thought that was just so cool. That he was not, he's not just, it says two things. It says he's laboring fervently. He's continuously laboring. And labor isn't fun. It means it requires work. Sometimes when you're praying, it requires work. You're crying unto the Father. You're saying, Lord, hear my cry. You could pray for one hour, two hours, three hours. You want the Father to hear your cry. You want him to hear you. That is laboring in prayer. It's not a 10-minute prayer on a Wednesday. No. It's being alone at home when no one's around. And you pray for more than just an hour and you don't even realize it because you want the Father to hear you. You want the Father to hear you. And you see, when we labor in prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ sees that. He sees our pain. He sees our passion. And he takes it to the Father and he shows him. And he says, look, your child needs your help. He really wants your help. And what greater intercessor can you have than the Son of God himself? What greater intercessor? I don't think a teacher could be better. I don't think a pastor could be better. I don't think my mother could be better. She may be, but she's, but it's not the case. It's Christ. Christ is the only one. And you see, Jesus is there. So why don't you pray to him? Why don't you? I mean, I, if I had connections with, I don't know, someone very popular and I could get money from them, I'd be talk, calling them all the time. I'd be saying, I need help. I need to get a care. And yet we have Christ, but we don't even pray to him. We have Christ. We don't even need a high priest. Back in the Old Testament, I remember doing with Brother Eric the tabernacle. We had to go, you have to have a high priest for the sin to the people. We don't even need a high priest. We just have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus and we can go to him and he can go to the Father on her behalf. If you turn to 1 John 5.14. 1 John 5.14, it says... And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, verse 15. And if we know that he heareth hear us, who whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That we can go to the Father, and if it's his will, 
He will hear us. But we have the confidence, confidence to go to the Father and say, hear us. The Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace. We can boldly go to him in such confidence knowing that our God will hear us. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But we have confidence that he will hear us. So to conclude, Christ is speaking on your behalf right now. So don't surrender. Don't give up in your prayer. Don't stop. He's there speaking for you. And God will hear your cry. Just wait and see the glory of God. And the lastly, I'm going to say is, learn to labor in prayer and to pray daily. Because if you, because as you wait for the Father's response, learn to pray. Learn to seek the face of God. Cry unto Him. Because I couldn't do this message if I didn't do that. So what about you as well? Anyway, that's all. I don't have a title for my message, but I was just thinking that if I did have a title, I'd call it The Thief. It would be called The Thief. And what I wrote is this, you know, I just went back over our salvation, that when a man or a woman becomes a Christian, the Bible says that he or she is a new creature. Like if any man be in Christ, that means if any man is saved, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. And the verse, and the word that I circled in this verse is, is, I'm a new creature right now. I was a new creature the day I was born, and so are you. So it's a present tense verse. I'm a new creature right now. And I just looked at some of the things that we get from eternal life. We, we get as a result of being saved. We have eternal life. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 said, And you had he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So at one stage, we were dead. Like if you look at a corpse, we were dead, and then suddenly uh, we had life. I just, you know, when Jesus spoke to Lazarus, he spoke through a rock, and Lazarus heard his voice. Lazarus was dead. And when we heard the gospel, that's what happened to us. We, we, we were raised, basically, from the dead. So we have eternal life. We have a personal relationship. Um, I'll just go to Hebrews 8. 8 chapter 10. For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So we are, we've entered into a relationship with the Lord. He puts his spirit into us and he guides us and he leads us and he, 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 he tells us you know, what to do and where to go and he also tells us when we're doing wrong. Our sins are forgiven and this is the one I love. Colossians 2.13 Colossians 2.13 And you've been dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh had he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses and I've heard the pastor preach that's all your trespasses Past, present, and future. All your sins are forgiven. They were all laid on Christ. And then you have Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. You have a promise from God. He says, 
Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave you. Nor I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So he will, and he's, his word is true, no matter what you're going through, no matter how far down you fall, he will never leave you. So there's great joy at salvation. And all these truths, they thrill the soul. And there's a great, you know, when I got saved first in impetus to, to witness, I, I ran to my family and my friends and I started telling people about uh, that I was saved and that they needed to get saved. But then after a while, you notice a sin starts to raise its ugly head again. And then you start to say something, you know, you do something, or you say something, or you see something, or you want something. And the Holy Spirit's inside you saying, that's wrong. It's clearly against the will of God. And the devil whispers in your ear, are you saved? You know, he said, Christians don't sin, do they? You start to enter into uh, a different, um, it's a warfare. You wouldn't have come across this when you weren't saved. You're only coming across it now that you are. So you've, inter- you've entered into a battle which takes place in every believer. And the battle is the flesh versus the spirit. And the devil comes riding in on the flesh. And he knows what he knows how to tempt you. But the Holy Spirit, who is quickened your spirit, knows how to keep you. So the battle commences. And many a Christian is caught off guard, not realizing that the devil is out to get him. They don't hear the warnings in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's out looking for you, and he, he's looking to get you. And you know, um, there, the, the, the elder part of this year, we had three guys come on on the 12 Weeks to Freedom course, uh, finished the course, one went down to the home, and after a, couple of, after a couple of weeks left the home, then the other two have fallen by the wayside. They never made that transition across into church. They never kept going. They never kept uh, staying in the Word. They never kept renewing their minds, as the pastor has been talking to us. And now all three are gone. The, the devil got them. And he's looking for you as well. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I just want to stop there because I circled the word thief. Thief. There could be somebody at home in your house now stealing something belonging to you. You don't know that he's there. And usually you don't know that you've lost, you know, that the, the, that the devil is working on you until you've lost your joy or you've lost your peace uh, or you've lost your insurance or maybe you've lost your health or you've lost your money. Uh, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your family, you know. You don't know he's working on you until you actually, these things are gone and then you're taken you're taken by surprise, I suppose. But Jesus said in that same verse, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So let me give you just one truth to overcome the devices or the scheme of the devil. He is also known as the accuser of the brethren. 12.10, Revelations 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren He's also known as the accuser, which accused them before our God day and night. In verse 11, it said, But they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. You know, we're like icebergs. An iceberg, you see one third of it above the water. The other two thirds is underneath the water. And what I'm saying is that, you know, we come to church or we, we're in relationship with other people, 
not so much now husband and wife, but we only show a certain amount of ourselves. We don't really <laughs> bear our hearts to everybody we meet, you know. That's the third that's above the water, okay. There's the two thirds underneath the water. You know, when we, we have entered into a personal relationship with God, when we come to God, he wants us to talk to him about the stuff underneath the surface, you know. The anger, the bitterness, the disappointments, the failures and, and, and the secret sins, wherever we're struggling and whoever we're struggling with, whatever is going on in our lives. But the devil comes along and he reminds us of our failures. And he, he keeps on reminding us that we are a failure. And he keeps on reminding us about our sin. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to steal our privilege to be able to go before the throne of grace and be able to talk to God. He wants, he wants to spark up our pride and say, you know, I can do better. I, I can, I don't have to do, you know, you know what I'm trying to say to you? He is in on it. He wants to keep you from getting what, what you can get if you go to God. You know, God knows more about that stuff. He knows, he knows, he knows exactly what you're going through. And what he wants is what Dean was saying. He wants us to come to him. In 1 John 1 7, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we, we're okay, we don't have, we're not having these problems, we're deceiving ourselves. In John, 1 John 1 8, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, what we were asked to talk about, the intercessory work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to go to God. We need to go to him. And we need to tell him about the stuff that's underneath the surface. We need to tell him where we're having problems. We need to tell him what's happening. If the devil is telling us that um, we have this sin and that sin, tell him, thanks very much. I must make a note of that because I'm bringing it to the throne of grace. Because you are forgiven and you are justified. And, you know, the guilt that you're carrying around, you do not need to bring it with you. You can bring it in and you can cast all your care upon the Lord and you can tell him everything, every anger, every piece of hatred, anything that's going on in your life, you can go into the throne of grace and you can tell it to the Lord and he'll take it. And he, he'll do more than that. He'll cleanse you. And he'll forgive, he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. And when you come out, you're clean. You're clean. And you can walk away. And you can come back as many times as you want. And as you need. And the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There was a guy in the Old Testament. His name was Naaman. Naaman was a wealthy man. His name was a leper. And there was a little maid there. She said, good to God that if he knew the prophet that I knew back in Israel. So Naaman got all his stuff together, all his gear and all his money. And off he went. And he went to see the prophet. And the prophet told him, go and wash three times in the River Jordan. And he didn't want to do it. Don't be like Naaman. Go and wash. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
well, this is probably the amateur version, but um, we're talking about <coughs> Christ being the mediator and intercessor. And obviously the verse that is the core verse for that is, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, First Timothy 2.5. I looked up who uh, a mediator is, and it is one who intervenes between two parties or takes himself upon himself a responsibility. And Christ certainly did that for us when he, um, as a mediator by virtue of his atonement, uh, which he took upon himself our sins when he paid for it with his blood. Uh, for <clears throat> anyone who comes to him in true belief and asks him to be their savior. Um, we are atoned for our sins by the shedding of his blood. And in Romans 5, and also in verse 9 of Romans, I won't ask you to go there, but I'll just read uh, the verse much more that being, verse, Romans 5, uh, verse 9, uh, or Romans, <coughs> Romans 5, sorry, we, much more that being now justified by his blood, we are saved from the raw through him. And Romans 5, verse 11, uh, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received atonement. So again, it is true, Christ only, that this is done. Uh, again, going back to the verse, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Um, he paid for our sins, only he can intercede on, on our behalf for what he has done. Why then so, do so many people assume that we can mediate through Mary, Muhammad, Buddha, Harry Christner, whoever they go through. Uh, in reviewing this, I went to a website, askacatholic.com, and a lady asked a question in that site. I went to my grandson's Catholic school for Grandparents' Day last week, and during morning prayer, they prayed, Dear Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, then the prayer followed. Uh, she asks, why would this prayer be permitted? Please tell me where in the Bible it says we should pray through Mary and where in the Bible it says Mary had an immaculate heart. The reply back was quite long-winded, so I'm going to summarize. But he starts by saying the church, the Catholic church, has never accepted scripture alone as its source. It seems to me this is adding to the word. And again, we're reminded of Revelation 22.18 there, which most of you know. He goes on to explain that because it mentions the man Christ Jesus, it is referring to humanity, and that as humanity becomes one body through Christ, we participate in the mediation and redemption work. Now, if you take uh, the verse I said again, um, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Where is the extra onto that and also the body of Christ? Um, <clears throat> he refers to First Peter 2.9 to support his argument, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And yes, indeed, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood if you have come to Christ the right way and asked him 
to save you the right way. But <clears throat> again, it's a wrong assumption. Uh, true, as Christians, we are adopted into the royal priest, but we do not have the rights of mediation. Only Jesus has that. And it completely states that in that particular uh, thing. He also states that every time we bring someone closer to Christ, we function as co-redeemers. That's wrong again. Only Jesus, by his blood, is the co-redeemer, uh, or, or is the redeemer. Uh, he states that Mary, by agreeing to bring Jesus into the world, became a cause for salvation. I do not recall any dialogue in the Bible which God asks her if she would like to. He states, because of this, the church gives her certain titles, such as mediatrix and co-redemptress. Another colleague adds to this confusion by stating that we are only mediating with Mary and not the Father. But again, why mediate with Mary? If that verse, the Bible states uh, that um, God, the, the, the Bible is the word of God and obviously we have to take it uh, what it says and it says study to show yourself approved of God rightly dividing the word and who is dividing it rightly or wrongly there if he's adding to it so it's just interesting to see uh, the connection there and how people look at it and I know that when we uh, go and witness to people or talk to people, uh, <clears throat> it's sometimes a good idea to try and find out where they're coming from. And <clears throat> I suppose if you're looking at it from that angle when you're witnessing, uh, it's good to understand other people's point of view, but they're clearly taking it up on the wrong vein there. And the verses in the Bible, particularly the one about he paid for himself with his blood, he is the Redeemer. He is the uh, mediator on our behalf and our sins. Uh, so that's all I have to say. Thank you. Yeah. Let's go back to First Peter 2, 5. Um. So Bill has already defined um, mediator in a sense. I mean, I just had a few extra words. You know, you might hear words in the world like arbitrator or middleman or go-between. These are, let's say, non-biblical words that define it. But there's also in the Bible, there is um, words like, um, if you heard the word interpose. So I don't know, is interposer uh, an actual word or is it interpossessor or whatever the right thing is, but... Um, um, there's also days man. There's a days man in them, um, which is the same function or whatever in Job. And um, there's a couple of other words, um, a reconciler or th- these kind of things. Okay, but um, basically, I just want to talk about our great need for mediation. You know, for, from First Peter, First Timothy two five. So it says, and you know already, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the first point is our need for mediation. Okay, so the very fact that a mediator uh, that, that uh, there is a mediator existing shows that we have a need for a mediator. It reveals that we are at enmity with God because a mediator actually exists. Okay, so the Bible de- defines that by saying that you, your sins are separated between you and your God, and, and it tells us, it teaches us the truth that there is no peace between you and God 
basically because of the outpourings of your, your sinful and wicked heart, and that because you're at enmity with God, you're without hope and without God. And if you die in your sins, definitely it will be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Okay? So there, this is also the reason the, the, the statement that we have a mediator as well shows that um, this isn't easily resolved, okay? Being at enmity with God is a bitter division, okay? Um, any attempts to buy God's favor with so-called righteous works are worthless and, in fact, an, infen- an offense in the eyes of justice, okay? And our holy God will not accept any bribery at the great white throne judgment. So we're not to be deceived into thinking that we won't be held account- accountable and we won't reap for all the corruption that our flesh has sown. So again, the very fact that the mediator is needed reveals that God and man are at enmity and for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, you might you might want to illustrate the point again with the fact that, let's say, a doctor moves into a town and if there was no one there that was sick, he wouldn't have any business, okay? He, he would have to go somewhere else, right? And in the same way, um, the fact that we have a mediator shows that there is a mediation that needs to be done, okay? And then the second point, um, the need for... A mediator, okay. Um, so that was a need for mediation, and this is the need for a mediator, but not just any mediator, right? Given our situation, the Bible says, who can stand before God? Like, we desperately need a mediator, but not just any mediator, okay? No man can draw nigh to God. No man can pay the ransom that is, that is owed. No man can settle that debt. No man can cleanse his soul, purge his conscience, abolish that enmity I mentioned there. No man can make peace with God, or no man can reconcile himself, okay? No man can fight that fight and win, okay? No man but the man Christ Jesus that we read about in 1 Peter 2, 5. What manner of man is this? (laughs) He is the word made flesh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. He can blot out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He can enter into the holy place and through his own blood pay that ransom, settle that debt, slay the enmity, and obtain eternal redemption for us. He is certainly a great mediator. And then the final point, and I'm, I'm glad that I was after Bill because it lets me um, set this one up a little bit better, okay? But if you turn to Second Corinthians 5, Bill mentioned here about Mary and the... Uh, argument that um the argument that there are other mediators okay so um we read from first timothy 2 5 there was one god and one mediator okay but i would like to argue that it, um okay i told you to turn to second corinthians 5 but if i just read from galatians here if you just listen to me here it's talking and it says um It's uh, Galatians, Paul is speaking and he's saying, Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now who's that mediator there? Does anyone know? It was, well, this is specifically speaking in context about the receiving of the law. And who mediated the receiving of the law? Yes, Moses. So he's, he's a shadow, he's a type of mediator. Now, there was only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But if, if we're to call ourselves Christians, which literally means